Episode 8, Exquisite Corpse. Written and directed by Sean Hybor. Performed by Sandra Osborne. I remember my first pageant audition. I had barely slept the night before because my mom kept my curlers in, wound tightly against my scalp. My neck was stiff and irritated. I remember rubbing some lotion on it and wincing from the pain. Mom told me that she could put some cream on it to take the redness away. She told me I shouldn't worry. No one would notice. I didn't even realize the possibility of needing to worry. I had two older sisters. Both of them had competed in these pageants before, too. I was familiar with the routine of everything, the ritual of it all. Sunday mornings would require us to get up at 5 a.m. It was a lengthy and tiresome process that I was fortunate enough to be able to sleep through until I was old enough that I had to join my sisters. In this case, old enough means six. I wish I could tell you that the reason that I never made it far in that world was because I saw the cruelty and unnecessary pressures of subjecting children to severe scrutiny, like test subjects. But the truth is, I never worked hard enough. I imagine myself as the type of person who dedicated their time to bettering themselves, but I usually just half-assed it. I wanted the same attention as my sisters, the observing eyes. I just didn't have the motivation to work for it. Around middle school, I made the announcement that I had competed in my last pageant. It was time to become the person I wanted to be. And that person did not put wrinkle cream on her ass or glue on her eyelids. I told my mom that I didn't want to end up in life at her age, which was 41, and regret working so hard for something so meaningless. She was so bitter. She told me, it's better to burn out than to fade away. My mom, given the opportunity to instill her lifelong wisdom in me, chose to quote a fucking Neil Young song. In December, it'll be six years since I moved here from home. Christmas Eve, actually. I may be one of the first human beings to ever have the crazy idea to move away from California to try to make it as a comedian, but I would gladly make an even trade of all these snowstorms to get the hell away from my demons back home. I was used to plastic Christmas trees covered in canned white powder. My first night here, the high was 12 degrees. 12 degrees is not a lot. The thing about being a comedian is that you have to be really, really bad at it for a very long amount of time before you start to say anything of any value or anything that anyone cares about. It'd be nice to have an agent or someone to represent me, but I'm still pretty awful at this. As such, I play some pretty sketchy clubs, weddings, bar openings, any occasion really. That kind of shit that you regret the day afterward until you see a small deposit in your checking account? A few weeks ago, I received an email about an opportunity without a ton of information attached to it. It was an offer of $10,000 for an overnight show. It read, $10,000 paid in full on Halloween night. We require your services, 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. There was an address and time attached Nothing more, except a small line of print at the bottom stating that the client was of confidential nature and no other information is available until the night of. 
I spent the next couple of nights working on some new material, trying to make the show somewhat audience appropriate. <laughs> but since all I knew of them were that they're apparently some shadow organization having a Halloween get together, I just sprinkled in some terrible monster jokes like this. Why does the cemetery at the top of the hill have a fence around it? Because people are dying to get in. I left my apartment and started the walk toward my car to make the drive out to Loveland when an Uber pulled up. The driver, dressed in a powder blue suit, asked if I was Maggie. And, well, I am. He said he was going to bring me to the event he was already paid for, so I got in. He told me his name was Alejandro, asked me if I needed anything, and then gave me a phone charger, a bottle of water, a mint, and a bag of peanuts, like I was on a flight to Cleveland. The ride went about as well as any Uber ride can go. Alejandro not saying much. Me flipping through pictures of my family's fake smiles on social media. We finally pulled up to an enormous brass gate. It creaked open like we were entering a Vince Price film, like a fucking haunted house. And then, to make that previous statement as meta as possible, Alejandro turned to me and told me the rules of the game I was about to play. One, by agreeing to get in a car with a stranger, travel a few hours into the middle of nowhere and ask no questions, I had already entered myself into the game. But I was free to leave at any time. I could walk away right now, no questions asked. Alejandro would take me back. I would never see him again. Or two, I compete for the prize and work from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. inside this house. If I do that, $10,000 will be deposited into my bank account at the end of the night. I had to decide right then. My, uh, my steps were slow and deliberate as I tiptoed through the fresh snow. I could hear the faintest notes of music, but couldn't make out what it was. Alejandro walked one step behind me with his hands hovering near my elbow. What a gentleman. The house looked empty standing from this view. Brown wooden slats on the outside looked dusty, even at night. It was alarmingly quiet, save for the music. The detail that really made me buy in entirely was the creaking of the boards as I walked up the steps to the front door. I've always been sensitive to that sound. It's, ugh, it's unnerving. Makes my teeth hurt. That small, intricate detail really sold the experience for me. The amount of nuance that went into the design is unparalleled. Terrifying. Terrifying. Alejandro rang the doorbell for me and then returned to his car without a word. He drove off before anyone answered, leaving me standing alone in the dark. When I was nine, we traveled four hours for a show in the outdoor barn of some retired farmer. Instead of leaving the night before, Mom wanted to save on hotel money, so we left at 2 a.m. the morning of. I was sitting in a folding chair, putting on eyeliner as the sun was just rising for the day. Around me, dozens of girls were showing up and assembling their 
folder chairs and applying their eyeliner. So many tired eyes. My mom came around the corner with a can of hairspray. I let her know I had already used some on my hair, but she told me, close my eyes. She covered me from head to toe with a sticky mist. This way you'll sparkle on stage, she said. The main living room was much larger than it looked from the outside, containing several pieces of well-polished wooden furniture scattered throughout. Staircases led from the center of the room to a balcony containing a series of closed doors. Ornate, high-backed chairs surrounded the perimeter. Seated in each chair was a person wearing black robes and a mask. The masks varied from weird and creepy to alarming. A towering infernal idol stood against the back wall looking down over everyone. Its red stone appearing warm to the touch. Fire crackled and popped in a small fireplace set in the center of the room. A gentle smoke escaped from a burning piece of meat on a spit. Several fur blankets laid in a pile on the floor. No one said a word, remained completely still. I finally spoke loud enough for the room to hear. Hi, I'm Maggie, I'm here for the show. No one replied. I hadn't expected them to. I made my ascent up the staircase to the left. What the hell kind of game is this? Approaching the first door, I reached for the handle because I honestly didn't know what else to do. The door was locked. I went to the next door. It, too, shut tight. I snuck a peek back over the railing. No one had moved from their chairs. A soft glow was escaping the third door from underneath the frame. I tried it and it swung open, slowly. It was a bathroom. The shower was running. Through the frosted glass sliding door, I could see the opaque outline of a woman washing her hair. Now, she didn't seem to notice me, or maybe she just didn't care. I sat there transfixed. Finally, she turned to me, turning the shower handle off at the same time, the steam had started to fill the room, creating a haze. She inched closer, slowly. I was frozen. Her body pressed up against the glass as she waited to slide the door open. Through the glass, she locked eyes with mine. I had the feeling she was timing my blinks, trying to predict when I would close mine for a millisecond. Oh, I held them open as long as I could, staring back at her, just ugh, paralyzed. Tears started to stream down my face as my eyes dried. Finally, I closed them shut, only I held them there. I couldn't look at her again. It was silent. Her weight adjusted in the shower. I could hear her through my eyelids, drops of water falling to the floor. Finally, the door slid open. I heard her launch her body out and toward me. It just a, uh, a chill ran through my chest and I was suddenly shivering. And then, 
silence. I opened my eyes. I was alone. When I was 11, I won first prize in a pageant. I had not wanted to do it, but my sisters were competing in the older division and my parents were traveling with them for the weekend. I wasn't trusted enough to stay home by myself, so I didn't have a choice. My parents were right. I would probably have run away. But then when I heard my name announced, I felt important. Maybe for the first time. Ugh, I hated the process of standing in front of everyone like a show pony, and I would never admit it to my family. But when they said my name over the auditorium PA system, I felt a welling of emotion in my throat. I felt seen. I was handed a bouquet of flowers, an assortment of random leftovers from the local florist, discarded extras, throwaways. But they were my throwaways. Something my parents or my sisters couldn't take away from me. I walked in disbelief to the dressing room, holding my bouquet close to my body, just beaming. And then my mom entered. She smiled at me and put her open hand on my cheek. She said, I'm proud of you. I could feel the tears building in my eyes. They were the type that burned from lack of sleep. As I went in to hug her, she stopped me, held my shoulder so that I could see her face, and then said, I'm surprised you made it all the way through without making any mistakes. I guess there's a first time for everything. back in the hallway. After unsuccessfully attempting to open a few more of the doors, I managed to find another unlocked. I entered to the smell of a sour odor, like something had started to ferment. The room had no windows, completely black, impenetrable to light from any source. I walked toward what I believed to be the center of a room. My right foot stopped as it collided with a lump of cloth on the ground. Feeling around with my hands, I could make out the semblance of a form, but it was difficult to figure out what exactly it was. Could have been heavy rags, bundles of flour. I started to panic when I realized the overwhelming realization that it was most likely a body. I crossed my legs and sat in front of it. I could hear the person breathing. I rested my hand on them and felt their chest rise and fall. From outside of the room, I could hear voices starting to build, a chanting. The words were hard to make out. I laid down next to the body and wrapped my arms around it, pulling it in tight. It felt nice to hold something. I closed my eyes and laid still, just ready to go home from this night. When I left the dark room, I could hear the chanting growing increasingly loud. The masked figures who were once inhabiting wooden chairs were now standing tall. 
In the center of the room, laying across a table, was a woman. She looked like she may have been the same woman from the shower, but it was hard to tell. She, too, was wearing a mask. One of the members took a step forward and motioned for me to come down. I made my way toward them, aware of my breath and the sounds of the creaking floorboards. I stood at the base of the steps, and then a woman spoke, soft and direct, motioning to the front windows. You're free to go if you decide to. And she was right. Through the drawn curtains, I could see the faintest hint of light starting to appear. <sighs> From the beginning, I was told that I only needed to make it until morning. It was now morning. I looked down at the woman laying on the table. I didn't know her. Was she part of all of this? Who was she? I remembered what Alejandro said to me. I had done everything he had asked. I took a step toward the door, and the woman started to move violently. I stopped dead, my body turning instantly cold. Until this point, I had been trapped in a house with other people, but I was completely alone with my thoughts. I took another step and she let out a terrifying cry for help. She pleaded with me to help her. They'll kill me, she called out. Eventually, they'll kill us all. I used to tell a story on stage about one of the first pageants I ever attended. A folding table was set up with snacks and bottles of water. The choices were pretty boring and not kid-friendly. Low-fat yogurt, Rooibos and lemon ginger tea bags, carrot sticks. I remember spotting a huge plate of cookies on the edge of the table, untouched. Oatmeal and peanut butter and sprinkle and chocolate chip. I had so many options, so many paths to choose. My excitement peaked as I reached out to grab one. Another girl slightly older than me grabbed my hand without a word and shook her head. After a moment, she finally said, those aren't for you, they're a trap. They put them there to sabotage you. Now on stage, I used to tell that story as a joke, pointing out that the cookies had been left there by one of the other moms, hoping a rogue contestant would find the cookies and ruin her chance at winning that day. Survival of the fittest, shittiest, and most reprehensible people and their unwitting children. <laughs> Remembering that story now? It's hard to find the humor in it. I left the house, the woman sobbing behind me, trembling, begging for my help, my attention, my humanity. But it was morning. I walked out of the front door to claim my prize. There was a car waiting outside for me. The engine was running. I can see Alejandro waiting on the driver's seat. I take the steps slowly down, listening to the creaking along the way. Off in the distance, a man was smoking a cigarette and leaning toward the entrance to the corn maze. His mask is pulled up, exposing his face, and he just stares at me as he continues to smoke. 
Alejandro exited the car. He opened the back passenger side door and waited for me to enter without saying a word. I stared out the window, watching the sun rise as we drove back home. I thought about how many people were just starting their day. Kissing their kids goodbye, brewing coffee, reading the newspaper. How many were yelling at their kids to find their Spanx and remember their moisturizer? <laughs> Alejandro handed me a bottle of water and a mint. He reminded me to review him on the app if I enjoyed my service. As I walked up the steps to my apartment, I heard phantom creaks from the cement. I replayed the events from the night before. I started a pot of coffee, imagining the woman just pleading for me to help her. What can I have done? What can I have done? I closed my eyes, thinking about the money that should be hitting my bank account any moment. My phone rang. I let it go to the mailbox, just wanting to avoid everyone and just be alone. But I had been alone for a long time. I was alone for most of my life. Nothing had changed. But now I knew myself. I knew what type of person I was. For the longest time, I thought about how I blamed my family for everything shitty that happened to me in my life. I used their apathy to nurture my isolation. That's why I moved to this goddamn state in the first place, with all its snow and weird shit. But the truth is, I didn't need to escape my family to outrun my demons. They've lived inside me all along. This episode was performed by Sandra Osborne. Sandra is the co-creator of Ulipsa Protocol, an exploration of the mysterious deep reach. It's a must listen. Doorway, the Constance theme song, is performed by Quiet Theory. Constance is an independent audio drama. Season one is almost over, and if you're still listening to these weird little stories, thank you. Truthfully, thank you. Thank you.